KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, January 21st. What Biden's inauguration means in San Diego. That's next. But first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County public health officials reported more than 1,700 new coronavirus infections on Wednesday and 65 additional deaths. State officials and researchers are trying to learn more about a new, different variant of the coronavirus. Days after the UK found variant was identified in San Diego, a different variant was traced to outbreaks in Santa Clara County. The San Diego County Board of Supervisors approved a motion on Wednesday that requires them to show the scientific data they use to justify enforcement of COVID-19 public health orders. Supervisor Anderson says the data is now published on the county website. The approved motion also says enforcement of public health orders must be applied consistently and fairly, and the criteria used must be given to the public. Researchers say the population of gray whales off the west coast of the United States has fallen by nearly one quarter since 2016, resembling a similar die-off two decades ago. That's according to a NOAA fisheries report. The agency declared an unusual mortality event in 2019 as dozens of gray whales washed up on the Pacific Ocean beaches. Scientists aren't sure what's been causing the die-off. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Members of Congress from San Diego were in D.C. yesterday celebrating the inauguration of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman caught up with San Diego politicians from across the political spectrum and got their reactions. He brings us this report. It's been a really long four years. It's been a really long two weeks. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We have a new administration, a new day. And I, for one, can't wait to get to work. Democratic Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs is not the only local representative celebrating a new beginning from what some are calling President Trump's divisive rhetoric. Here's Democratic Congressman Scott Peters. Found enemies wherever he could. And I think that the the thing that Joe Biden said today was, look, you know, we can we can disagree. It doesn't mean we're disloyal Um, and that we we need to respect each other. We need to hear each other. Um, That's not what President Trump was all about. But fortunately, that's what President Biden is about. And I think 
gives us a chance to really start healing and restoring American greatness again. Fellow Democratic congressman representing northern San Diego County, Mike Levin, was also there for Biden's first address as president. The president said whether you were uh, a supporter of his or not, he is a president for all Americans. And I think at a time where we are very divided, uh, where we need to unite, we need to heal, uh, and we're trying to recover, obviously, from a pandemic that has taken more than 400,000 lives tragically across this country. Uh, we desperately need competent, stable leadership. And I think that's what Joe Biden and the Biden administration will bring. Republican Congressman Darrell Issa voted to reject some states' election results earlier this month. He was at the inaugural ceremony, later issuing a statement celebrating the peaceful transition of power, saying he welcomes Biden's words of unity and the country stands to benefit if he keeps promises made during the campaign. But not all Republicans see it the same way. People are frightened. People in the people on the conservative side uh, feel like they they are uh, being dehumanized. El Cajon Mayor Bill Wells says social media companies are, quote, censoring some conservatives, suggesting they're terrorists and white supremacists. He wishes that Biden would stand up for, quote, political speech. Either make people feel uh, like there's some hope or make people feel like they're being attacked. If, uh, if people feel like they're going to be attacked, then some will be radicalized. A lot of others will spend more time organizing. So I kind of suspect that the the most unifying source for the Republican Party is going to be the Democrat Party. Newly elected Republican member of the Board of Supervisors, Joel Anderson, had a different take. The president was my first choice, but he's still my president. And our country has a lot of woes. And we need to, we need to gather together to lift everybody in our community. Uh, I'm not the majority on, on the Board of Supervisors, but I'm working across party lines. And I think that's, that's what the future re requires, people working together to solve real problems. But I'm tired of all the rhetoric on both sides. I think we need to be laser focused for our constituents. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria hopes Biden's message of unity will resonate with San Diegans. He plans to leverage his personal friendship with the vice president to make local issues a priority in D.C. Seeing her there and taking the oath and making this history, um, you know, it, it, there's a, a more of a connection there. And so you just sort of know uh what that means for her and for her spouse, as well as what it means for my nieces uh, who are watching as well. Uh, you know, it's just a it's such a really positive day in what has otherwise been a very dark time. The Board of Supervisors' first ever Latina elected member and Democrat Nora Vargas says she was so excited she could barely sleep last night. My heart was bursting with like so much passion, like excitement. And, you know, I'm mostly excited for the young little girls and boys in this community to see you know, an African-American South Asian um, as our vice president and what that means is very powerful. That reporting brought to us from KPBS's Matt Hoffman. Shortly after taking office on Wednesday, President Joe Biden quickly issued a slew of executive orders, including some that address immigration. Here along the border, KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler tells us that while change is on its way, there are still barriers facing asylum seekers who have now waited for years to enter the United States. President Biden signed several executive orders regarding immigration on day one, including a call for Congress to grant permanent status and a path to citizenship for DREAMers, and changes to arrest priorities for immigration and customs enforcement. Late Wednesday night, the Department of Homeland Security announced that it would take the unprecedented step of pausing almost all deportations for 100 days, set to begin on Friday. 
and that it would surge resources to the southwest border in an attempt to process thousands of asylum seekers for entry into the U.S. UCLA law professor Hiroshi Matamura thinks the Biden administration has shown a real interest in solving the humanitarian crisis along the border. Well, I think the first step and probably the deepest commitment of the Biden administration is to restore some sense, some sense of the rule of law. Comprehensive immigration reform will take months to work through Congress. But immediate action for those in immigration detention and asylum seekers along the border could take just a few short weeks. Erica Pinheiro is a lawyer who works with asylum seekers stuck in Tijuana. I think we've seen the administration backtrack from some of the day one promises to sort of a, we need to do some work before we fulfill said promise. Much of that work has been done in coordination with a group of local officials and immigrant advocacy groups known as the California Welcoming Task Force. Working with the president's transition team, they began to outline ways the Biden administration can begin to quickly process thousands of asylum seekers along the southern border and allow them to safely enter the United States. Attorney Margaret Cargioli was part of that group. We understand that the Biden administration is facing serious challenges due to the extreme measures that the Trump administration took to undermine asylum law and dismantle immigration law. It's a moment of reckoning for immigration law. On Tuesday, asylum seekers in Tijuana held a press conference asking the Biden administration to take quick action. Estimado presidente electo Joe Biden y vicepresidenta electa Kamala Harris, reciban un cordial saludo y nuestra felicitación por haber resultado ganadores en estas elecciones 2020. But first, the administration needs to work with Customs and Border Protection, which manages the country's ports of entry. Leadership of the agency has been hostile to many of the Biden administration's priorities. Cardioli thinks they could find more help elsewhere in the government. The Biden administration should look into other facets of the government that can take away any legal humanitarian type cases away from basically a police enforcement agency. The Biden administration has already floated a stepped up role for asylum officers and the State Department. There's an estimated 15,000 asylum seekers in Baja, California, who either were denied the chance to apply for asylum or were sent back there under the Remain in Mexico program. The first stop for many of these asylum seekers in San Diego will be a shelter run by Jewish Family Service of San Diego, in conjunction with the county. Kay Clark is their senior director of immigration services. She says the shelter is up to the task of housing asylum seekers during a public health emergency. We've seen historically asylum seekers coming and arriving to our care in very stressful situations, like in, in, in need of medical assistance with communicable conditions. But really, we've been able to develop a coordinated response with public health and other medical infrastructure to be able to, t to tend to the unique needs that our guests have when they arrive to us. After a few days at the shelter, they'll then continue their immigration case from inside the U.S. As the Biden administration reopens safe pathways into the country for those seeking safety and opportunity, San Diego looks to become, once again, a front door into the United States. That was KPBS reporter Max Revelin-Nadler. Next week, KPBS will bring you a look at border wall construction under the Biden administration, including the future of planned projects here in San Diego County.
Former San Diego Congressman Randy Duke Cunningham was among 73 people pardoned by President Trump on Tuesday. KPBS reporter John Carroll got reaction from the former U.S. attorney who oversaw Cunningham's bribery case. March 4, 2006. Disgraced Congressman Randy Duke Cunningham appears outside U.S. District Court in San Diego, tearfully expressing regret for his crimes. I can't undo what I've done but I can't atone. Cunningham pleaded guilty to taking more than $2 million in bribes from defense contractors in return for steering contracts their way. He was sentenced to eight years and four months and served 80% of that sentence. Carol Lamb was the United States attorney who oversaw the Cunningham case. Somebody in the, who held the position he held certainly deserves to have this conviction on his record for all time, but practically speaking, uh, I don't think it, it actually gets him that much. Cunningham, who now lives in Arkansas, still owes $1.8 million in restitution. He told a federal judge that he survives on $1,700 a month. Coming up, a California auditor found the state's smaller counties got shortchanged on COVID-19 relief funding. Also, a deeper look at the allergic reactions from vaccine distribution at Petco Park. Those stories next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. California is shortchanging small counties when it comes to federal COVID-19 relief funds. That's the conclusion of the state auditor. Cap Radio's Ed Fletcher reports. California counties with more than 500,000 residents receive nearly twice the state in federal relief funding per person compared to the 42 counties with fewer than half a million residents. State Department of Finance officials defended the allocation by arguing that the most populous counties have more COVID patients. But the state auditor's office pointed to several smaller counties, Imperial, Kings, and Lassen, whose infection rates topped the state. We believe they should have allocated it on a per-person basis. That's Margarita Fernandez, a spokesperson for the auditor's office. She wants to ensure low-population counties have the tools they need. That's the risk. The risk is that some of their needs are not met. While much of the funds were allocated by the federal government directly to large counties, Fernandez says the state should allocate its discretionary funds more equitably in the future. The new Biden administration has COVID-19 vaccination at the top of its priority list. But here in California, the effort hit a snag this week when the state suspended the use of one batch of Moderna vaccine. Several people who received vaccinations from that batch experienced what's being called higher-than-usual allergic reactions. To talk about this, KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh spoke to James Paulson, who is a Ph.D. professor and chair of the Department of Molecular Medicine at Scripps Research Institute. Here's that interview. Ten or so people who got vaccinated at Petco Park experienced these allergic reactions. Can you explain just what those reactions were? Well, yes. I mean, uh, allergic reactions in general are, are 
pre-existing conditions. So someone has been exposed to um, some something, you know, bee sting, peanut allergy. Uh, everyone's familiar with with allergies in general, pollen. Uh, and if you've been exposed and you and you are allergic, you produce a, you produce a, a your immune system produces an antibody that um, that causes allergies. Then then they're just sitting there waiting <laughs> for the next exposure, and uh, the immune system reacts quite vigorously to produce what's called anaphylaxis, which is a, a severe shock uh, to the body. Is is that possibly deadly? A reaction to a vaccine like that. It can be, but it's also very preventable under medical care. Uh, many people are also familiar with, um, if you are very allergic, like to peanut allergies, especially parents with uh, children that have peanut allergies, they have an EpiPen. It's an epinephrine pen. And when the reaction starts, a quick administration of that, um, the EpiPen generally takes care of it. And, uh, and you know, medical teams uh, who are present at these vaccination sites, by the way, uh, are, are there prepared to, to do that and other things to make sure that these severe reactions don't end up in a, in a bad way. Are you aware of what ingredients in the Moderna vaccine could have triggered such a reaction? Well, uh, you know, we could we could be surprised. There could be something that that nobody's anticipating. But the, the most likely ingredients uh, that I've seen are polyethylene glycol, which is used in manufacturing processes. And I've also heard mention of polysorbate. Uh, polyethylene glycol in particular is used in other medicines. And some people become allergic uh, become, uh, to, the, you know, to these materials that aren't present in, in, in most uh, common day life. Um, so uh, it's possible that the, the, the people that, that were um, impacted and had these severe reactions had previous exposure. And as a result, um, uh, aren't, you know, experienced the same thing with this particular batch of, of Moderna vaccine. How common is it for people to have allergic reactions to vaccines? Oh, it's, it's very rare. So this is a common uh, problem for all vaccines. Uh, for anyone that's had an influenza vaccine, you, you, you will recall that you, get, you have to fill out a questionnaire asking if you have allergies to eggs in particular, because many influenza vaccines are produced in eggs and there's some carryover of those allergens into the vaccine. So this is not a new problem at all. And, um, and, and it's very rare because the ingredients in, in the uh, vaccines uh, produce these allergies very, very uncommonly. So it was, uh, I think, surprising and raised the red flag when, when more than one <laughs> person in a day uh, or more than one or two in a day experienced some negative reaction. And this is a new kind of vaccine. It's not the egg-based flu vaccine that we're used to, is it? Yes, it's not egg-based at all. So it's not the same allergy. It would be a different allergy for components that were carried over in the manufacturing process for this particular uh, Moderna vaccine. And why did the state decide to take that entire batch of Moderna out of circulation? Well, I think it was just 
uh, an abundance of caution, uh, uh, the, the term that was used. We've heard that term used a lot these days, but, <laughs> uh, and, and, and it's for that reason. Um, now Moderna and the FDA and the CDC are investigating that batch to see if perhaps some of the suspected allergic compounds uh, were in higher quantity, for example, or if they could detect other things that that uh, weren't anticipated to be in that batch or other batches. Um, you know, I, I personally think that we'll learn a lot more by uh, asking the patients what their previous exposures have been. And if there's anything in common uh, between the patients that would help narrow down what could be the problem with this particular batch of vaccine, if, if there is a problem. We don't know for sure if it was the, the vaccine. It could have just been a cluster of cases that are extremely rare to have happened that put the finger on that, on that uh, batch of vaccine. But, um, you know, I think it's a combination for, you have patient privacy, you can't ask a patient to spend the time and, and go through their history, but, but uh, certainly they can be asked if they're willing. And a combination of analyzing the, the vaccine and, and talking to the patients uh, might teach us a lot. And it is common. In fact, it is expected for people to have some kind of reaction to this vaccine. Isn't that right? Well, yes. Uh, but but this is a, a very a specific type of reaction that, that is uh, medically uh, threatening. So many people will experience pain at the site. And as the immune system reacts, uh, some will expect more more pain or swelling or redness, but this is not an allergic reaction. Um, the allergic reaction is, is mediated by a class of antibodies uh, called IgE. And you know many people don't make many these kind of antibodies and some people make lots of them to lots of different things, <laughs> which means, and, and what they do is they, they, they go to specialized immune cells called mast cells and basophils. And those antibodies just sit there on, on those cells waiting for an allergen to come along. And when it does, it activates that cell to release all kinds of nasty contents that, that uh, cause in mild cases, you know, sniffling and headaches and nasal congestion, but in severe cases, anaphylaxis with all organs and uh, being affected with uh, uh, you know, very severe consequences. And so this is the thing that we're concerned about, not the type of side effects that most people would experience. And is there any tests that can be done beforehand to find out if people might be allergic to these COVID vaccines? Well, you know, I, I've, I've gone recently to uh, one of the vaccine, vaccine sites, um, the, the Petco. In fact, that's where the, where the problem was. And uh, they asked me questions right up front. You know, do you have allergies? Have you ever had anaphylaxis? Um, have you ever used an EpiPen? So these are sort of very clear, direct questions um, that of a screening nature. And I had another colleague who went to the same site uh, and she has very, very severe allergies to at least 20 different things. So she's a prime candidate 
you know, to be worried about <laughs> any allergic material. And she was screened and she was, um, she answered yes, yes, yes to all of these questions. And they immediately put her in a different line. They have a different line set up for people with allergic, uh, with allergies and the potential to undergo this anaphylaxis. And so uh, she was greatly relieved because she really wanted to get the, the vaccine. She got the vaccine and she had no problem at all. So here's a case of a very severely allergic person that had no problem. And the reason is that she wasn't allergic to whatever the components were in the vaccine. You'd have to have had some pre-exposure and be allergic already <laughs> when you go to get your vaccination. So I think these screening questions are critical. And the more we know about, uh, about the potential allergies for the Moderna vaccine, they can make their questions a little bit more specific um, and, and flag people that might have had exposure that would need to go into that special line. That was James Paulson, Ph.D. professor and chair of the Department of Molecular Medicine at the Scripps Research Institute, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.